I wonder if you've ever thought about what brood of vipers means. Ever? It struck me, it kind of sums up uh, how John the Baptist fits in my imagination, maybe yours as well. Brood of vipers is actually a really, really offensive thing to say. I, th- I kind of think in my head, I just kind of, you know, stored it away as kind of like, you're a bunch of snakes. Anyone else? Okay, but actually what John is saying, he's using a word that we can't use in the pulpit to to, uh, say illegitimate children, the illegitimate children of snakes. That's what he's saying. And he's saying this, he's caused this name to, right? (laughs) He calls his name to uh, a group of people who were like the most, considered to be the most upright and honorary, uh, honorable members of society. So John is... We're very familiar with him, like we're familiar with the phrase brood of vipers, but he's a bit of a crazy guy. Like, he's really godly. He's a, it's a, he's a you know, the, the most righteous man uh, up until Christ. You know, Jesus says that of him. He's an amazing guy. He's the summation of all the prophets. He symbolically represents, like, uh, the prophetic line of Israel and all these amazing things God has done. And, yeah, he's kind of using the strongest of language to talk to the opponents. He eats locusts. I was taught at school, maybe it was locust beans, which is a thing, apparently. But no, not the, the evidence is he ate actual locusts and honey, which is interesting, but, you know, it's, it's, he's a wild guy, isn't he? And he lives in the desert. He wears camel hair and a leather belt. It's just, he just doesn't fit. And yet we're so comfortable. John the Baptist, John the Baptist is like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's just like, it just clicks into place and we move on. And um, there's something about his personality that I, I just, um, uh, the offensiveness of <laughs> him as a person, it's actually really necessary for us as Christians. God wants us that, he wants us to live a life of where we're, we're full of his peace, where we're growing in righteousness, where good things come into our lives, where we're enjoying him. And, you know, God wants that. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. And yet, part of our healthy relationship with God is having this kind of prophetic, slightly wacky, challenging voice every now and then saying, you need to stop and think and think about what you're doing. Actually, part of that healthy relationship with God, where we have all those good things day to day, is allowing him to speak powerfully into our lives from time to time and having seasons of of repentance, seasons of really examining ourselves. And, And that's really what... I think the Lord would want to say to us this morning. It's the analogy that came to mind a little more every day, a little less 2,000 years ago. It's just like the analogy of spring cleaning. You know, something you can't do every day, but something that actually, from time to time, it's really good to stop, do the, thing, do the things you can't do every day. You know, really, really tidy up, really get rid of the junk, really look at what you're doing and think about it. And that's, I think, God's word to us today through John through his life, his example, through his words, is it's time for a spring clean. Is that okay? Good, all right. So God wants to bring this urgency into our lives. I think the other thing that occurred to me just as I read this is it's very easy to hear um, John's words just as a kind of stereotypical, cliched, tub-thumping fire and brimstone preach. He sounds kind of angry, doesn't he? If you, you know, you're listening to the reading, you know, Jesus is coming, he's going to, everything's, there's lots of burning language, there's lots of threshing, and, you know, these aren't comfortable, encouraging words. And you can kind of hear that with, you know, for you guys who have a Christian faith, 
we can hear that with the, actually it can make us respond with an attitude of civility. What I mean by that, we can an attitude of like almost like we're slaves. You know, God is angry, and I, Jeff's going to preach a sermon about God's going to speak to me through His Word this morning about like how angry He is about my sin, and I really need to deal with it. And you're kind of even now because I've given you the heads up about it's spring cleaning. You're kind of winding yourself up to you know for for the threshing fork, <laughs> the winnowing fork, the whatever you know. You're, and actually. It's really important we remind ourselves, and this is kind of the first point, that as Christians, God may speak to us strongly sometimes, but we are his children. And actually, as children, we should welcome him, his parental discipline, not as a kind of like, he's not bashing us, he's not going, oh, who do you think you are, getting you know, ahead of yourself. It's not like that. He is challenging us because it's good for us. There's a sense of urgency about his command sometimes, about his word in our lives. But it's not to belittle you, it is to save you. You know, sometimes we shout at our kids because we're frustrated, for those of you who've got kids. Sometimes we shout at them because there's danger. You know, I'm trying to teach Nathan to cross the road at the moment, and we do this little thing. He asks me if it's safe to go, and I'll say yes. And then if he goes right then, it's fine. And then he'll, he'll hesitate. He'll step out into the road. He'll stop, and then he'll have another look. And to keep him safe, I have to say, not now, Nathan, come back, you know, otherwise, because he's waited too long, he can't cross. And God shouts at us sometimes, but it's that kind of reason, you know, because he loves us, because there's something urgent he wants us to pay attention to, you know, because there's danger around the corner. Uh, it's really important that we receive these words in that way. And so it's, it's easy to misunderstand John the Baptist. And perhaps even if you're not a Christian here this morning, you hear those words, and it's like, oh, good, I came on the one week there talking about, like, hellfire and brimstone. <laughs> um, but actually, even, you know, it may be hard to understand, but actually God's love is being portrayed here. There's a, there's a warning in these passages that's saying, actually, there's something really urgent you need to hear. It's really important for your life, and God doesn't really mind if it's a bit uncomfortable for you, because sometimes you need a, a loud wake-up call just to kind of get through the the comfort of every day, you know. So it's really important to see that. And actually, that whole uh, framework that frames what uh, John is saying in this kind of positive way is actually there in the passage. Not so much in John's words, but in the, his person himself. So like, you look at the way he dresses, for example. This uh, camel hair and leather belt. These are symbols that are supposed to call to mind the prophetic tradition of the people of Israel. So for hundreds of years before, God has been speaking to his people Israel through prophets to warn them, to tell them, to tell them his thoughts and his, his, his ongoing conversation with his people. And they were often characters a bit like John. They were out of the ordinary. And some of them dressed like John to kind of make that point. They were messengers from God. And so he's calling to mind, for those of you who are familiar with the story, he's calling to mind people like Samuel, who would have dressed like this. He's calling to mind uh, perhaps Samson, the liberator from justice, who ate honey. There's a hint of that. But in particular, John is the fulfillment of this prophesy in Malachi that before the great day of the Lord, which is impending now in this scripture, Jesus is about to come. Before the great day of the Lord, it says in uh, Malachi, see, I will send Elijah before that great and dreadful day. So he is a, he's a fulfillment of the prophet Elijah. But that word fulfillment is the important thing. So remember, he is representing that something greater is coming. We have the images of him standing in the desert or in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place, of course, most uh, intimately associated with the exodus of the, uh, the Jewish people out of 
uh, Egypt. And what's being uh, conjured up for us, you know, for our imaginations here, is, is that God is going to perform a, a new exodus. John, John is representative of that. So the people going out into the wilderness to be baptized, they're going into the water, they're coming out again. That's a picture of when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. All these images are kind of being stirred up to say, God is going to do this amazing thing all over again. And it was an amazing thing when you think about it. It is a, a gobsmacking and beautiful what God did for the people of Israel. They were in slavery in Egypt. In slavery. Heavily burdened. They were victims of, of genocide. The, the rulers of Egypt at the time, thousands of years before John the Baptist was around, were killing their children because they didn't want them to become too populous. They, uh, they um, were victims of harsh, uh, servile labor. You know, it was really, really dreadful. They were proper, proper slaves with like, chains and masters and, and whips and all that stuff. <coughs> And it says in the Bible that God looked upon their groaning and he had mercy on them. He heard their cry and God himself rescued them out of Egypt through these incredible miracles, 10 plagues and uh, then the parting of the Red Sea. And he led them out of, out of Egypt himself. I mean, that is really, really amazing, isn't it? He led them out of slavery. He brought them to himself. He made them his chosen people, his special possession. And he gave them this a beautiful land for them to inhabit. I mean, it's an incredible story. It's, if it's new to you, I'm sorry I'm not doing a great job of, I don't have all the time in the world to tell you about it, but you know, it's kind of cool. If you're familiar with it, just remind yourself, that is kind of crazy, isn't it? Isn't that amazing what God did for the people of Israel? The reason I'm trying to say how amazing it is because what, what we see in John is God is going to do something even more amazing. And that's saying something, isn't it? Even more amazing than rescuing millions of people out of slavery, like by miraculous power. Even more amazing than that, God is going to do something through, this, uh, through Jesus Christ. What is it? He's going to lead not just one people group, not just one nation, but the whole world out of slavery. And not just physical slavery, although that is a part of it. You know, his justice does break those chains. But our slavery to sin, the deeper rooted things, the things that even give rise to slavery, the, the, the twists and the turns in our own hearts, in each of us, and in the world around us, in each individual and the systems of the world that cause the world to be full of darkness and ugliness and pain. God is going to deliver people out of that slavery and into eternal life through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And, and John captures that in his words. He says, you know, I'm baptizing with water. It's like a symbol of what God did for the Israelites. He took them out of Egypt and he took them through the water of the Red Sea. And you guys are going to come and do that. You, the people who are coming to John the Baptist are doing that to express their repentance and the forgiveness of sins. But he says, the one who's coming is going to baptize with something even more wonderful. Not just water for washing, not just a sign of repentance, but the, ho the Holy Spirit and fire. In the, in the contemporary imagination, John's contemporaries, fire and wind were considered like liquids, which may sound a bit strange to us, but if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. You imagine like a steady wind on your face. It does kind of feel kind of liquidy, right? If you imagine the feel of a candle flame on your hand, if you, you know, it feels like that. There's a sense of liquidity about it. And um, 
so this, there's this kind of play on that idea that the one who's coming is going to immerse, uh, is going to baptize, that's what it means, is to dip, to immerse. People are coming, not just in this thing for the cleansing of sin, uh, for this outward cleansing of sin, but something even more amazing. He's going to change hearts. He's going to set all sorts of captives free. He's going to be a light to the whole world. It's, it's this amazing thing that's coming. So what is John's anger, apparently, directed at? What is his urgency directed at? Why this language that John the Baptist is using? Because what is coming is so amazing. It's so amazing. He doesn't want anyone to miss out. He doesn't want anyone to be denied this opportunity of coming into this amazing offer of salvation that God is bringing to the world through Jesus Christ. He doesn't want there to be any hesitation. You know, there's this... There's this holy and wholesome desperation. You need this. You need to hear what's coming. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to be disqualified. I don't want there to be anything in your life that would blind you to the truth of Jesus Christ and the fact that God loves you and wants to rescue you and change you and deliver you into this bright and beautiful uh, promise. There's something in that, I think, that this season of spring cleaning, God would just remind us of what he's got for us. You know, it's, it's hard being a Christian sometimes, isn't it? Well, a few of you are nodding. I'm just going to take the rest of you as, as read. It's hard, isn't it, the things God's asked us to do or not do, the perseverance it takes to love and so on. God is just reminding us, like, it's worth it. What the, the life I hold out to you, not just your eternal destiny, but the fullness of life that's on offer to us in Christ, the chance of, of being transformed by his grace and received into his kingdom and all the goodness that flows from it. it just, just stop. You've been working hard. You've been plodding along. You know, distractions have come. There's all these things accruing in your life. There's, all this stuff whirling around in your mind about your faith, about your life, about your family, about your job, about whatever's going on in your life. He says, stop for a second. I just want to remind you, it's worth it. Following me is worth it. If you hear anything, hear in John's urgency, hear that. Jesus Christ is worth it. He's the pearl of great price. He's the thing who's worth selling everything for. Worth being shouted at by a crazy man in the camel hair suit. <laughs> he's worth <laughs> he's worth it <coughs> and you know, if, you, if you're not a Christian this guy's either crazy or he's found something right I mean those are the only two options either John the Baptist is actually bonkers or some, he's found something so important so real so urgent that it that he doesn't care what anyone thinks of him, how foolish they think he looks, or you know, how like angry he sounds or anything. He's like, listen to me, listen to me. He's like the guy you know, running and saying, oh, this is incredible, you've got to listen. And the basic question God is asking is like, you know, take your choice. Like, it's worth a look, right? Someone comes to your door and says, oh, I found something amazing, will you come and look at it? You know, like, is it worth it? Just to go and see for yourself. That, you know, that's John's invitation. That's what, John's craziness, if you'll allow me to be disrespectful, yeah, invites us to. 
So there's something good inviting us on, and I think that frames everything else. So now we're going to talk about spring cleaning. This is the winnowing, threshing bit. I hope you're all geared up for that now. Is that okay? And the three things, really, that um, I think God would urge us to do, three tasks in the light of this amazing promise that God holds out to us, the offer of salvation. Um, three ways where actually we're specifically called to repent and examine our lives uh, in this season. The first is this, that God would call us to recognise again the false promise of sin. The false promise of sin. So, verse 12, it's the last verse of our reading. We get this language. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire, that's a picture. When Jesus comes again in glory, when he returns, everything that doesn't matter is just going to be gone. Everything that's sinful, everything that's temporary, everything that's not of eternal consequences, is just going to go. And seasonally, every now and then, God calls us to examine our lives and says, is there something that you've accrued in your life, something kind of barnacle that's grown on the hull of your ship, if you like, that just needs to go? Is there stuff that's unnecessary, that's distracting you from this amazing promise in Christ? The false promise of sin. You know, this is the, the uncomfortable truth that we don't like to talk about too much is that sin, disobeying God, is basically enjoyable. Really. Because if it wasn't, nobody would do it, would they? <laughs> That's it, isn't it? But actually, there's a lure in sin, there's an attraction in sin that there are things we want to do because they seem good to us. And it's no point denying it, because like I say, we just wouldn't do those things if they didn't seem attractive to us in some way. And actually, the Bible is really upfront about that. It's, it's not saying like that the stuff that God tells us we shouldn't do is just unpleasant and yucky, and why would anyone... You know, it's, it's actually, it recognises the goodness. It goes right back into the, uh, you know, Adam and Eve and the garden, and there's this, the tree with the, the fruit of the, the knowledge of good and evil, and it looks good. It seems to be good to eat. You know, it has this promise of you'll have understanding, that sort of thing. And, and so the Bible acknowledges that. But what John's warning would remind us of is that these, that, that pleasure is like chaff, like this thing that gets burnt up. It's temporary. And it's actually in, uh, it's, it's, uh, enslaving. God offers us, his salvation offers us, uh, freedom from sin. It offers us a life that is full of goodness. And what sin offers us is one good thing and a life that's deteriorating around that good thing. Sin is holding on to something that will drown you that seems good. It's persisting in something that feels good or appears good or makes you, makes you feel nice or whatever it is that actually is destroying the rest of your life. And very simply, whether I frame that well or not, God's challenge to each one of us this, this morning is, is, is this. Are you willing to get rid of that thing that appears good to you, but actually you know is wrecking the rest of your life? Because if you are willing to let that thing go, he will, he, he will take it from you and he will give you what you really want. And the rest of your life will come into harmony with it. 
really, really simply. He wants your whole life to be good. You know, if you're a, if you're a slave in Egypt, and it's a bit of a stretch, right, but just sticking with the context, if you were a slave in Egypt, they, in the wilderness, the Israelites, they said, oh, you know, we had some good things. We had certain things we liked to eat, and now we've just got, you know, you know, it, there, there's, some, there's something in that that was safe and secure, even though the overall experience was terrible. And, and sin is like that. And very simple. I know this from my own heart. I know this from the Bible. And I know it because I know some of you, and the rest of you I'm just guessing. But there are things in your life that you, that you like about yourself, or there are things that you like to do, or there are things that you really, really want to do right now that maybe you're wrestling with in your life that actually... Uh, you know you should let go of and you're struggling to, but you know that they're actually affecting every part of your life like a poison or a cancer. And God is saying, you can't do this self-examination all the time. That's not what being a Christian is all about. Not every day waking up and going, Lord, show me the cancer in my life. But he's saying, this season, under this word, right now, this is the time to let it go. Is God speaking to you now? It could be something that is always sinful. You know, that you know the Bible, you know God's commands. You know, it could be something that's bad for everyone every time. It could just be that there's something that, you know, it's not necessarily bad for everyone, but it's bad for you. But God is saying, you need to let that thing go because it's poisoning everything. It's not compatible with a blessing I have for you. Something that feels good, that destroys. The greed feels good. You know, whether it's eating too much or having loads of money, it's nice. But it, it, it just freezes you. It makes it, you know, it makes you, it just robs the rest of your life of life. It kind of freezes you in place, doesn't it? Pride feels good. You know, when you feel great about yourself and other people look at you and they admire you and that sort of thing. It feels good, but it, it poisons the rest of your life because you stop seeing the beauty in other people. You know, having a incredibly high standards is, it can be good, but if it makes you feel rubbish all the time, or if it makes you judge other people all the time, or it makes you angry all the time, it's not going to be good. You know, certain relationships that are outside of God's plan can feel good, or they can appear attractive. But actually, you know that thing will bring ruin to the rest of your life. Maybe it is already. And God is saying, you need to let that thing go so I can, I can bless you. I'm going to destroy that thing. When I come back, I'm going to get rid of it because it's so poisonous. And if you cling to it too tightly, you're going to go with it. Now is the time to let go. What is God speaking to you about? What is getting in the way of him blessing you? You know, sometimes, it's, even when we come to that point of realisation, and maybe even right now, there's something particularly on your mind, letting go of that thing is really hard. Oh, well, no, worse, it's impossible. We can go, yep, Lord, you've spoken to me, I know what it is you're talking about, I know I should let it go, but I'm not going to, or I can't. God's grace is so big that he will accept simply, I want to, but I can't. Or I want to want to. His grace is so big 
that all we have to do is cry out and say, Lord, take this thing from me, and he will rescue us. So he's encouraged, let go of the things, the weight that is pulling you under, the poison that is affecting every part of your life, the thing that appears good, feels good, but is actually destroying you. Second thing of repentance I think God would call us to in this season is an examination of conscience. You know, day to day we, you know, we mess up, we go to God, we say, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. You know, that's, that's all just part of the Christian life, isn't it? We just, we come to him, we ask his forgiveness. But every now and then, he calls us to a deeper examination of our conscience. If I sin in a particular way, and I keep doing it again and again and again, actually at some point, God is saying, you need to look at what the root cause is. You know? So there's this, um, so when John says in this passage, he says, the axe is at the root of the tree. Well, what he's saying in one sense, he's saying a lot of things, but one of the things he's saying is the problem is very deep. This isn't about superficial repentance. This, the axe is at the root of the tree. God isn't coming to prune the branches. He's not coming to trim a few twigs or pluck some fruit off this tree. He's, it's at the root of the tree. You need to deal with the deep things. And God is calling us in this season of preparation for his arrival to look actually not just as, uh, not just to let go of things that affecting uh, you know that we're holding on to that we shouldn't not just to say oh I'm going to try really hard to repent between now and Christmas but actually for a specific time to really go deep and say Lord is there something some deeper thing that I need to deal with some deeper thing that I need to deal with something actually the signs of which are quite superficial but actually there's a deep root of sin underneath it. I was um, talking to a friend recently about the weather, and he was expressing, he was basically saying, every winter, I just want to go and live in Portugal for a few months. (laughs) It wasn't anyone here. (laughs) We probably had similar conversations. It's quite an innocuous conversation, right? And it's quite a natural desire. But actually, as we talked it through, there was a pattern a pattern of, actually, he felt like he couldn't be happy unless he took matters into his own hands. Ditched everyday life and all the boring stuff of you know, family and friends and you know, that sort of thing. Ditched the things that God had given him and kind of took for himself this, this amazing and spontaneous opportunity. And as you see, a really little thing... Sorry if I've ever done this to you. Like, you've made some tiny little comment and I'd be like, do you know there's a deep-rooted sin underneath all this? <laughs> But actually, time to time, it's good to do that, isn't it? Actually, we, we had a really good conversation. Actually, there's this thing. It was that he was really struggling to just receive the good things that God had already given him. And he was robbing his whole life of contentment, which is an amazing, you know, amazing gift that God wants to give us. Now, that is not the kind of thing you can do every day. It's not, you can't do that more than a few times a year, probably. You know, it's, dealing with those things is really deep. And actually, you have to wait for the Holy Spirit to... To prompt you, you know, there was some uh, a few hundred years ago. Some guys, the Puritans, they used to keep, a few of them used to keep these things called sin diaries. They'd had two diaries actually. They loved keeping diaries. I don't know why. One diary was like for posterity when they died. 
that people would get to read that diary and like, today I prayed and da -da -da -da, I visited Mrs. Miggins and all that sort of thing. That was the one diary. And then they have the sin diary, which is where they wrote every little evil thing that came into their minds. Like, you know, I looked at Mrs. Miggins' ankles or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they would write everything down and they had instructions when they died, you know, nobody's to read this. We want to, <laughs> it's got to be burnt. And, but the, you know, it sounds kind of pious and holy, but actually that level of inward scrutiny is kind of poisonous. Like God wants us to set our minds on love. He wants us to set our minds on what God wants us to do, not to avoid. And, but actually, from time to time, it's good to, to, to scrutinize our hearts in that way and to look and to say, actually, are there deeper things? And this is one of those seasons. This is one of those times with John saying, look how good it's going to be. Is anything going to stop you from coming to Jesus Christ? Now is the time to say, do you know what? Is there something deep-rooted behind this behavior, behind my seemingly innocuous habit, my addiction to coffee or Netflix or some other thing that's going to offend like half the people? <laughs> I'm, they're literally just random things. I'm really not picking on those things. But God is calling us. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal. Um, you know, maybe there's something he wants you to examine. You know, when we do that, this, this kind of... I, I, I'm not that offended by John. If John called, said to me, oh, you're a brood of vipers, I'm like, do you know what? Over the years, I've realized I pretty much am. You know, I look in my heart and there's so much mess there. But I don't hear that as bad news. I don't hear, you know, that I see so much sin and corruption and God has had to save me from so many things and still saving me from so many things. Because he's saving me. That's the amazing thing. Like every time I discover sin, it's not like, oh, I'm condemned. It's like, this is amazing, Jesus. You get to rescue me from that as well. And then he does. And that that's forms a foundation of our testimony. Isn't that wonderful? So nothing to fear here, nothing to, to, um, to worry about. Actually, it fills us with hope and joy as we see God dealing with stuff. So get rid of the stuff that's poisoning you and take this examination um, you know, you can, I don't give this advice very often, but you can Google examination of conscience and there's like a dozen different ways you can do that. Um, it's really good to be practical, but just comparing your motives to faith, hope and love is a really good way of doing it. But if that sounds, if that doesn't capture imagination, you can Google it. So there you go. That's a nice application for you. <laughs> and thirdly, briefly, um, this season of spring cleaning very, very simply, we can do something. God calls us to a level of activity in our Christian lives that isn't sustainable for short periods. You know? Actually, God calls us every now and then to have a season of extra zeal. Does that make sense? I think one of the mistakes we make sometimes is actually we kind of like, we set our standards really, really high and then like someone who's just joined the gym and then like goes for the first two days and like gets really, really exhausted and never goes again. We set our stands really, really high. And then when we fail, like, oh, I'm not really cut out for this. We kind of give up a little bit. But actually, God calls us to a season of trying really hard. And here it is in John's words. It's like, he says, you know, he says to the people, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Habitually, we can get into a habit of confessing our sin to God and even examining our conscience and then going, thank you, Lord, for dealing with that. And then we just carry on like nothing's happened. God actually is just basically saying, now is the time to do something. You know, if, you're, if any of you took up that challenge to fast during the time of Advent, good on you. If you haven't, you can do something, you know. But also, you can actually make a plan. If you see something in your life that needs to go, 
Don't be like the, what James says, the man who looks in the mirror, looks at his face, walks away and then forgets what he looks like. Listen to what he's saying now. Get your pen and paper out. Write down the problem and then write down one thing you're going to do to fix it. Nobody's doing it. I'm serious. <laughs> do something about it. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Our Christian life is, God is so good. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. That doesn't mean you don't have to do anything. There's great joy in joining with God in that work. There is a yoke. There is a burden. It's just an easy yoke and a light burden. And God calls us to do something. in this special season. So, I'm serious, that's it. Choose one thing. Write it down. Write down what you're going to do about it. That's it. Over all these things, we just hear the prophetic voice, this kind of crazy voice, crazy but good voice of John. Now. Now is the time. Now is the hour of salvation. That's what God is saying to us. Now. Put up your sail while the wind is blowing. Make hay while the sun shines. Cross the road now, Nathan. Now is the time. He's saying to us through John's message, I have so much blessing to pour out on you. So much to give to you. So much good stuff. So much that's clean and wholesome and free of all that mess and rubbish that you've been used to. Now is the time. Fling wide the gates. Let the king of glory enter in. That's what he's saying. (laughs) And just for those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, I mean that really literally. He's inviting you to a personal relationship with him. It's not just know about him or become a Christian. You don't know him for yourself. He, He... the words, there are words in the Old Testament that describe when God hears the people who are in slavery. It says this, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help went up to God. God heard their groaning. That's in Exodus chapter 2. I just want to tell you this morning that whether you're, crying, whether you're knowingly crying out to God or not, he hears where there's slavery in your life and there's things you're doing, stuff you don't want to do, there's stuff in you that you just really want to get rid of. You've labored so long. There's some good things, but it's not the wholesome freedom that God wants for you. He hears you and he's coming to rescue you. All he needs for you is to recognize the thing you've held on to, you need to let go of and you need to take hold of Jesus Christ. That's it. Let's pray for you.